Well, good morning and welcome again to the Springs. If this is your first time visiting, I am not Pastor Peter. Although we totally look alike and have the same hair swoop thing going on. My name is Shad and I serve as the campus ministry pastor to our sister Every Nation Church in the Austin area. And its name is Mosaic. And we have three campus ministry outreaches to the University of Texas, St. Edwards University, and Houston Tillerson University. Now, although I love those universities so much, I got a chance to be a part of the greatest university in the state of Texas, Texas State University. <laughs> so I love Texas State. Why? Because, of course, I went here. I played football with one of my best friends back here named Nade. Um, let's see here. I came to know Jesus while I was here. That was a huge thing. I went to grad school here. I met my wife right here at this church. And so I'm so thankful that Pastor Peter and Elisa would allow me to come here to preach, but really to be with family. And that's what you all are to me. So thank you so much for having me this morning. I hope that you're excited to be here. Pastor Peter is currently in Oregon, which means we can do whatever we want today. <laughs> so with that being said, you're dismissed. God bless you. No, actually, I want everybody to rise to their feet as we get ready to enter into our sermon today. So we'll be coming from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 30. You can open up your Bible if you have one, or you can open up your app, or if you have neither, you can read along right at the screen ahead. And so, the scripture passage reads as this, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asses underneath their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and the paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned. And have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of God. The God of the Jews only. Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you all. You may be seated. We are continuing in our series today entitled The Gospel is for Everyone, where we are looking through the book of Romans. Now, there is good news and there is bad news about this sermon series. 
The good news is that the title of the sermon series is true, and that is the gospel really is for everyone. Now, the bad news of this sermon series is that the book of Romans is a really intense read. Now, we are only in the third book of Romans, and I suspect that many of us, as we continue to go through this series, will begin to look like this. So, even the Pope is having a rough time as he's going through this book, right? No, but really, see, the bad news is that not everyone is going to accept that the gospel is for everyone. And because not everyone is going to accept that the gospel is for everyone, they will actually never truly see what the gospel is intended for, and they will actually never live this out in their own personal lives. See, it was almost two years ago that I had some really good news that I wanted to share to the entire world, and that was I was getting ready to propose to my now wife, Caress. See, her and I were sent as missionaries here from this church with other students and staff to Christ Church, New Zealand. And it was there, of course, after I finished all of my Jesus work first, that I decided to propose to Caress in the mountains of New Zealand. And so we have a picture of that. And there she is, super shocked, and there I am with perfect form. See, I figured why not take, a, like, take advantage of the moment to propose to her in the mountains so that she could know that every man in the world would fail in comparison for at least the next few decades because they wouldn't have a great of a proposal as this. So, you know what, Christ Church New Zealand really is a special place for Caress and I because of the beautiful memory that we had there, but also the opportunity of the good news that I got to tell other people of how much I loved her. You know what, and it was also good news for my mama and everybody else who knows me because after being in 26 weddings before that, Everybody finally said, okay, there's somebody that really loves Shad and actually wants to marry him. So it was good news. See, Chris and I had never heard of Christ Church New Zealand before. More or less, we had never, ever thought about going. But it is a place that has a good memory for us. And it was good news for the both of us knowing that we were going to proceed forth and get married. But on March 15, 2019, many others in the world for the first time heard of Christ Church New Zealand. And it wasn't actually good news. It was really bad news. See, it was bad news because of a horrendous terror attack that happened there within a local mosque within the city. And to make matters worse, the shooting that happened, the shooters actually Facebook lived the shooting for the entire world to see. And to make matters worse, we knew that this was bad news because people began to see folks dying again on live stream of the internet. And you know what, it was in that moment that the world was reminded of this one thing, whether we want to believe it or not, and that is evil does exist. And not only does evil exist, it exists in the hearts of us as people. And it doesn't matter whether it was the shooting that happened in Christchurch or the recent bombing that happened in Sri Lanka on Easter or the attack of a Jewish synagogue a few weeks ago or even the shooting that happened yesterday in Virginia Beach or even if it was the little bit of road rage that you had coming to church today trying to find a perfect parking spot. We see that there is something wrong in the world and what is wrong is that there is something is wrong inside of our hearts the anger and the hatred that comes out that time, at times. See, we actually lack world peace because we lack peace within our own hearts. And see, many of times we are fueled by bitterness and judgmental thoughts, and we believe the lie that we tell ourselves each and every day in some way, shape, form, or fashion, whether we want to believe it or not, if we were to be honest, that we think that we are better than the people that we are around, and we even think sometimes that we're better than the person we're sitting next to right now. And this all, once again, is a reminder to us that we are flawed as humans, no matter how good we think we are or not. Evil does exist, and it exists inside of each and every one of us, and how evil manifests itself many of times, like the shooting that happened in Christchurch, 
at the core of every evil act is humanity's desperate cry to say, I want to be accepted, even if it's at the expense of somebody else's life. I believe this to be truth about evil, and I believe this to be true that evil does reign in each and every one of our hearts. And in the same way, when we look at the book of Romans, we find a man named Paul who knew all too well about the evil in people's hearts because he came into recognition of the evil that was in his own heart. See, once named Saul of Tarsus, Paul was a Jewish rabbi to a religious group called the Pharisees, where he devoutly studied the Torah, which is the first five books of what we would consider to be our current Bible today. And because of Paul's devotion to what he believed as religious truth at the time, Paul saw newly converted Christians as both blasphemers to the truth and less than equal to him as a Pharisee. So in turn, because of this, he actually set forth pretty much kind of a revolution to actually kill newly converted Christians because he viewed them as a threat to Jewish culture within Jerusalem. And you know what? They actually weren't a threat to him as much as they were a threat to, in his mind, his own self-worth and value. And that assessment actually left his insecurities to be placed on display for everyone to see as he actually persecuted and murdered Christians. Sometime after that, Paul had his own personal conversion experience with Jesus, and it was there that he realized that the gospel, in fact, is for everyone, even for a murderer like himself. See, in around 41 AD, a Roman emperor by the name of Claudius actually expelled all Jewish people from out of Rome. And so what happened then, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, quickly began establishing their customs and religious beliefs all throughout Rome. Well, about five years later, those once expelled Jews were actually allowed back into Rome, and it was there, you can imagine, there were extreme amounts of both racial and religious tension found within the church and within Rome between these Jesus-following Jews and these Jesus-following Gentiles. So the biggest problem within the city and within culture of Rome at the time was brought forth not by unbelievers of Jesus, but by the believers of Jesus. And to that I say, go figure. The seemingly conservative and liberal followers of Jesus at the time were at odds with one another about society and how the church should be run. But I don't think we've ever experienced anything like that here in America, right? Conservatives and liberals fighting with each other. We don't, we don't do that. But see, Paul saw this issue through Rome, and then he essentially thrusted himself as a representative of God to both unify the Jewish and Gentile believers. Paul began preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome that the same gospel that saved him was the same gospel that was available to both sets of people. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Rome, where Paul is essentially declaring then what I want us to remember today, and that is the gospel is for everyone because the gospel is meant for us, but it's not from us. Again, the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. I only have two points this morning to really make us see that the gospel is meant for us, but it's not from us. And the two points are, number one, our sin, and number two, God's righteousness. So number one, our sin, and number two, God's righteousness. So let's go with number one, our sin. And I'm just going to get really real here, really quick. Our personal sin is the reason why we today as a human race do not truly believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. Again, our personal sin, no one else's sin, is the reason why today you and I don't believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. And that's really bad news. And not only is it bad news, I would submit that that bad news is evil. See, it's the type of evil that's deeply embedded in each and every one of our hearts. And Paul clearly points to this in verse 9 where he says, What then? Are the Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. 
essentially Paul is saying that no person is better than the other, and that even though he was a Jew, that he's no better than the Gentile, and the Gentile is no better than the Jew. Paul goes on to emphasize this point by saying this in Scripture. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. Now, for the purposes of time, we can actually define righteousness as to be in right standing with God. So what that means is, is for you and I to be right and to be in right standing with God, we have to be as God, which means that we have to be perfect. So I want to ask a seemingly logical question, but one that I have to answer today. Is there anybody in the room that's perfect? Okay, I didn't think Jesus was here in the room, right? I mean, he's with us, but like he's the only perfect person. So we can all agree now that no one is perfect, so we can conclude that no one is in right standing with God by their merit alone. And I want to be very clear about something, and this may be hard for you to hear, or this may be the first time that you have ever heard this, but you are not righteous. And if you are upset about that, please take it up with God, not me. Don't blame it on the springs. This is what the Bible says. I am definitely not righteous. You'll find that out within the next 27 more minutes of being here with me. Your big mama or your old ma that prays for you each and every day, she's not righteous either. Sad news, not even our beloved pastor, Pastor Peter, even though he is more holier than I am, but that's not saying much if you spend more time with me. He's not righteous based on his merit alone. Not even the Pope is righteous. I mean, you saw how distraught he was after he was reading Romans, right? The good Samaritan who helped the old lady across the street with her three-legged dog, she's not righteous either. The social media activist is not righteous. And then to make matters worse, Paul begins to reemphasize this point that none of us are righteous on our merit alone. And he pours salt on the wounds of our egos by telling those in Rome, no one seeks God. And like the Jewish and Gentiles followers of those in Rome that day, many of us in here may think that we are seeking God, but we're really just seeking the things of God and what we can get from him. So I know that we think that we're good in comparison to maybe the shooters in Christ's church or even Hitler, but when we compare ourselves to an almighty, holy, and righteous God, none of us are righteous. And if anyone thinks that we are inherently good as people, what I want you to do is after service today, I want you to fill out a connection card and say, you're going to volunteer for the Springs kids all summer, and let me know what you think about that statement afterwards. I mean, we love our sweet and cute kiddos here. They're precious. They're adorable. But unfortunately, they, they sin too. They're not always God's little angels. I mean, no one is in the Springs kids' classroom right now teaching them to yell the word mine to their friends. Well, at least I hope not. See, the only reason why children would make such a statement as that is because that statement has been deeply embedded in their heart before they were even able to say their first words. Or even worse, children have seen this type of selfishness because they have seen us as adults, especially within the church, treat each other this way. And this selfishness starts many a time with a hard disposition that has to do with both judgment and honestly entitlement. And although this may seem like a funny concept when we think about children, it is not funny when this is the actions that we display to each other as adults here within the church. For example, in my own personal arrogance, I have found myself many of times thinking that I am better than my wife because I perceive myself to be more righteous than her. I mean, when we got married, I thought it was my job to disciple her. Just because I have been in ministry longer than she has been. I mean, because I'm super saved and I'm the man of God of the household, I just thought that's the way that our household should be run. And needless to say, I found out pretty quickly that that didn't work out too well. It definitely didn't work out in my favor, especially when I broke my leg earlier this past year. 
And for the past eight months, I was laid up in the bed, and every single request that I had was at the helm of her saying yes, even though I was treating her this way. See, I found myself getting frustrated with myself and her only because I was thinking I was better than her because I did certain religious duties differently than she did. For example, I get up in the morning and I pray really early, and I pray for a long time. And funny enough, after all of my praying, I was still the only one that was stressed in our house. While I was up praying down for all of our stresses to go away, Caress was way less stressed about everything that was going on because she wasn't praying out of religious anxiety. See, she actually just simply trusted God, prayed, and do what she does best. She just went to sleep while I was up and still going crazy. See, I thought I was better than her because I processed information differently than her, and she lived out the ways of God differently than I did. And unfortunately, the only person in the world who would ever actually perceive me to be more righteous than her was myself. Nobody else actually thought that. And one day, God quickly reminded me one day while I was spending time with him, he said, hey, Shad, you shouldn't actually question Caress's judgment too much or actually question the ways that she's following God. Remember, she did choose to marry you, fool. <laughs> At least that's how I feel like God talks to me when I'm getting rebuked. And it was in that moment, yeah, I talked to God. I said, I'm like, yeah, I do question her because why would somebody so great even marry a sinner like me? That's what I was saying in my head. But no, seriously, Paul is basically saying this. I know that you think that you're following me in the right way, but none of you guys are actually following me in the right way. Because it's so easy for us to think that we are better than somebody just because we choose to follow God in a different way than they do. And this is what Paul is actually telling to the Jews and Gentiles, and he's proving to them their sin because he's exposing their words, their deeds, and their thoughts in just a few verses. See, in verses 13 through 18, if we can go back to that slide, Paul is basically saying this to the Jews and Gentiles. He says their throat is like an open grave. Why? Because of the lies that they tell daily. He says their, their words actually kill people because their words are like venom that is found in an African viper. He said their feet move to perform deeds that only leads them and others into paths of destruction. And because of the lack of peace that's in their own heart, they're giving off a lack of peace to the city of Rome around them. And finally, Paul goes on to say this, that they don't even fear God anymore, probably because they have made themselves to be God in and of their own lives. And today, we are no different. This is our sin. So I don't mean to be so direct, but if I can totally keep being direct for a moment, I want to ask, is, is this you? Is this your sin nature? When you look at your life based upon the words that you use, the actions that you commit, and the thoughts that you have towards others, is what Paul's saying a reflection of your character. Now, you may quickly say no, and if you do, I would ask the question, why are you answering no so quickly? Are you sensitive about the question that's being asked directly about you and to you? I would submit, if so, the area that you are most sensitive about in your life is probably the area that sin has its greatest hold in your life. It is probably the area where we seek God the least and we begin to justify the way that we follow God. And in turn, we want other people to follow him in the same way. And this is where we begin to make up ideologies about God and the ways of him. But this is our sin as a people. And because of this sin, Paul goes on within the passage and he says, we don't even understand God. It actually says it plainly in scripture. It says no one understands. And really the, own co the only concept that we have about God can be found in verse 20 where Paul says this. He says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So translation simply put, no person will ever be made right 
in the eyes of God by what they do alone. And the more that you study the law of God, the more you should see yourself as a sinner in the midst of God. So the more you read your Bible and the more that you do things by God and the more you do things for God, you should actually see yourself as more of a sinner. That's what this passage is saying. So the question I have for you today is if you're doing that and you don't see yourself as more of a sinner, then what gospel are you reading? What Bible are you looking at? Or more importantly, what are you choosing not to see in Scripture because you're choosing not to acknowledge certain sins in your life? This is the bad news is that we don't see our own sin in ourselves. And because of that, we can't truly see who God is. And because we can't truly see who God is, then that's the reason why we don't seek him. And since we can't see our sin, we actually need someone else's form of righteousness to show us what we are not and currently who we are and what we need to be redeemed from. And so that leads me to my second point, which is God's righteousness. Romans 3.21 starts off by saying two words, and they are, but now. Somebody say, but now. Say it louder. Say, but now. I wanted us all to say, but now, because these may be the two most important words that you hear today, because it's a reminder to us that what something currently is, is not necessarily what it will be. Again, what something currently is, is not necessarily what it will be when we hear the word, but now, and that is good news. See, it's a reminder to some of us in here today who felt like we've messed up so much because of the sins that we've committed, either by omission or commission, that we begin to wonder, the situation that I'm currently in, could it ever be made right? But God says to you today, through the words that were spoken by Paul then, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That same law that shows us and gives us knowledge about our sin, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. See, despite our sin and despite our flawed righteousness, you and I, we have a new righteousness that we can place our faith in in accordance to this scripture. And that righteousness is of who? Yes, it is of the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of me, not the righteousness of you, not the righteousness of somebody else, not the righteousness of our ideological or political beliefs, but the righteousness of God. And that righteousness can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is why this righteousness is for all people and not some. Why? Because according to this scripture, God's righteousness has no distinction to whom it is extended to. So, and some of us need to be reminded in here today, myself included, that God did not leave you and I in charge to determine who the gospel is for or even what righteousness is supposed to look like in someone else's life. That's actually God's job, and they're based upon his standards. God's righteousness looks like, was, and still is Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection that was put on display for the entire world to see. And this is why the gospel is for everyone, because it's based upon God's terms and not our own, because, again, his righteousness extends to all people. It has no distinction. This is why, again, that the gospel is for us, but it's not from us. And praise be to God that it's not from us, right? Because if the gospel was from us, then it actually truly wouldn't be a gospel. It would be man's attempt to try to reach God through religious ways and then impose those religious ways on other people. And this is what Paul was actually trying to attack in verse 23 where he says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I decided to study the word all in both the Greek and Hebrew. And surprisingly, all still means all. 
So since all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, then all of us need God and his righteousness to both save and redeem us, not from other people, but from ourselves, from our own ways of thinking, from our own thoughts, from our own actions. See, the gospel is for everyone because everyone falls short of the glory of God daily. The gospel is for everyone because each and every one of us in this room, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, do not meet God's standards. And this is the revelation that we have today that Paul spoke centuries ago, and that is true righteousness is the revelation of God's righteousness towards mankind. Again, true righteousness is the revelation of God's righteousness towards mankind. And this revelation that God has given us through his righteousness actually gives us what I believe three types of hope that can move us forward in our life with Christ. God's righteousness gives us, number one, a new status. Number two, it gives us a new family. And number three, it gives us a new future. So number one, God's righteousness gives us a new status. Because of the status that we now have in Jesus Christ, we don't have to depend on ourselves anymore to be righteous before God. And that is good news, that it is not based upon what we do to be declared as righteous, but about what God has done for us. See, all we have to do is acknowledge that we don't measure up to God's standards of righteousness and then accept that he is the Lord and Savior of our lives. And because of that, he would then impute his righteousness onto us. And in his righteousness, that is the thing that changes us from the inside out. Again, not based upon what we have to do daily, but what's already been done by Jesus on the cross. God's righteousness gives us a new status. And that is good news. Number two. God righteousness gives us a new family because the gospel is for everyone. We can now actually live in biblical unity with one another, even in our differences. Because we know that we are all in need of Jesus and we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we no longer have the right to actually look down upon somebody else in their sin, but instead actually choose to walk in biblical community with them. And this is what Paul was striving for in Rome amongst the Jewish and Gentiles believers of Jesus. He preached that the gospel is for everyone, even from them, two people from two different backgrounds with two different ways that they think that they should follow God, that they would come together to create a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and multicultural church. And isn't that what we're doing right here in the city of San Marcos at the Springs? We are trying to build a multi-generational, a multi-ethnic, and a multicultural church in the midst of confusion, in the midst of all the sin that tries to separate us, we can do that right now together. And if you look around this room, you see people from all different backgrounds, races, creeds, and thoughts, but we're saying we're combined by this one thing, and that's that we need Jesus, and because of that, we are a family. See, God's righteousness actually gives us a new family. And finally, God's righteousness actually gives us a new future. See, you and I can rest ashore in the midst of all of life's tensions, and in all of midst of all of the problems that we face daily, in the midst of us living in a world of diversity and being together, that one day that God will um, actually, sorry, restore and redeem the original purpose of what the gospel is actually supposed to look like in our lives. And really, this is our future hope, that all of us one day will be one with the Father and one with one another without judgment or flaw. All evil will have ended at that point because all evil will have been eradicated out of each and every one of us, because what God does is that he comes and redeems us completely when we think about the future that is to come. This is where we'll actually truly begin to see the gospel in its entirety, 
for what it was originally intentionally made to be. Because the gospel has never been a Jesus problem as much as it's been a people problem. There's nothing wrong with God. There's just something wrong with us. But you know what? We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to live in this biblical unity or community or this future hope. We can begin to live in that truth today. And this is what Paul was preaching and striving for amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. It's like, we're trying to build this church. We're trying to live heaven out on earth right here today. You know what? This is a hope that we have because true hope doesn't keep us stagnant. It actually pushes us forward. This is why Paul finishes the chapter of Romans 3 by saying this. We do not overthrow the law, but we uphold it. We don't overthrow the law, but we uphold it. Church, let us begin to uphold the gospel in its entirety while we are still here on earth, knowing that the gospel indeed truly is for everyone. Church, if you believe this, would you say amen? Let's go to God in prayer at this moment. Dear Lord, I thank you that the gospel is for everyone. That what you did on the cross for us wasn't just for one type of people or one person of thought or one race, creed, or color. But that this gospel was extended to each and every one of us. Because we have two things in common, and that is we are all sinners and we are all in need of you. And dear God, there may be someone here in this room today who has never came into the thought that their life, their words, their deeds, and their actions separate them from you. And we want to give them an opportunity to say, as they're coming into the knowledge of their own sin because of the law and the knowledge of you that was preached today, to give them the opportunity to say, God, I'm I'm in need of you. And if you're in here today and you're saying, you know what, the life that I have is not the life that I should live, and I want to give my life to Jesus, if that's you, And I'm not talking about give your life to the things or ways of Jesus, but Jesus himself. And you want to make him your Lord and Savior. I would just ask that you would raise your hand at this moment if there's any of you. Dear Lord, you see the hands that are here in this room. And I thank you that you give the great exchange, that you substitute your life for theirs. That you impute their righteousness on you and you impute your righteousness on them. And so they can walk away from this moment knowing for the rest of their lives that they're not just good currently, but they're good for all of eternity. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.